Well, welcome to River City. Uh, my name's Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here this morning. Good to have you guys. As always, looking forward to uh, studying God's Word with you this week as we uh, continue taking a look at our series about the mission and vision of the church. And um, uh, we spent the fall studying the books of First and Second Peter, which are uh, letters found in the New Testament written by the Apostle Peter to a group of churches in the Roman Empire. And that's kind of the standard here at River City Church. Normally, we just kind of take a book of the Bible and head right through verse by verse as we study it. And, and our heart, our goal is that we want God's Word to be the thing that influences us. We want God's Word to be the thing that shapes and molds our community. Rather than my words, we want God's Word to be at the center of what's going on. And so that's, that's normally uh, where we head on Sunday mornings. Um, but uh, as we begin a new year this year, we wanted to take a few weeks just to uh, highlight the mission and vision of the church. And our heart is that we might show you guys uh, what River City is really all about um, show you in Scripture where that comes from, that that's not just some crazy ideas that Aaron and I have, but um, that the things that matter most to us are hopefully the things that we see in Scripture that matter the most to the Lord. And so uh, we trust that as we study those things, we help to see why that's the case. And the reason we want to do all of that is because we want to invite you guys into that mission and vision with us, that you guys might uh, continue to join us as we seek to reach our city with the gospel, as we seek to be God's people, living as uh, his people sent to our city. And so that's where we're headed. If you remember, last week we examined the first part of our vision. Aaron uh, highlighted again in an announcement this morning, but the vision of River City is growing in the gospel, making disciples, and planting churches. And we talked last week about how the vision is where we're headed. It's, it's, the, it's the goal that we're pursuing. And we uh, studied specifically Ephesians chapter 4 and talked about why our vision, the very first part of our vision is to be a church that's growing in the gospel. And we Studied Ephesians 4, and we saw that the role of leaders, that God gives leaders to the church so that they might equip everyone for the work of ministry, and the ministry that everyone is being equipped for is to learn how to speak the truths about the gospel into each other's lives so that everyone would grow up to look like Jesus. And we said the way that we grow up spiritually, the way that we mature as followers of Jesus, the way that we increasingly look more and more like him is by learning to speak the truths of the gospel into our hearts. The gospel is the thing that saves us. The gospel is the thing that changes us. The gospel is the thing that is increasingly changing our hearts and our motivations, like uh, Caitlin was sharing this morning. It's the gospel that fundamentally is the source of everything that, is, that saves us and that changes us. And so we want to keep coming back to those truths. And so as we remember the truths about the gospel as we remember like how incredible it, how like how incredible the good news is that the god of the universe might step down from his throne that the god of the universe as ephesians 2 or as philippians 2 says that he would humble himself to become a man a man who would live the perfect life that we should have lived and the man who would die the death that we deserved to die in place of our sins and then who would rise from the grave conquering Satan and sin and death and who would ascend to heaven is now sitting at the right hand of the Father as our Savior and as our advocate and as our friend. And because of all that he did, we're given a new identity with a new life and a new purpose and a new mission. We go from being enemies of God to being dearly loved children of God. That, that's the gospel. And that truth changes everything about who we are. So we want to be a church that is increasingly, ongoingly, like ever more, coming to love and treasure 
and enjoy the good news about the gospel and see how it applies to every area of our hearts and of our lives. Just like, again, like Caitlin was sharing this morning about how the gospel is breaking into her as she thinks about struggling with wrestling with the idols of power and control and how the gospel is not just like causing her to want something else, but the gospel is like fundamentally changing her heart so that she longs for the good of others rather than just to not be bitter. So we talked about how the gospel is the most important thing. There is just uh, the only one thing can be of first importance and only one thing should be. And at River City, that's the gospel. But the gospel is uh, not just central to everything that we do or everything that we believe at River City. The gospel is central to everything that we do at River City as well. And that brings us to the second part of our vision, uh, which is making disciples. So before we dive in to our study this morning, let's pray, and then uh, we'll open God's Word as we uh, talk about what it looks like for us to, as a church to be committed to the mission of making disciples. Let's pray. God, thanks so much for you. Thanks for your Word. God, it's a full morning this morning, and I'm running sound and preaching and like got a million things on my mind. And God, if our time's going to be of any value to us, then like I just need that you fill me with your Spirit so that everything I say would really be you speaking. And so, God, I just like humbly ask that you would do that, that, that our time together might be all about you, Jesus, that our hearts would come to love and cherish you more as we see your word, and that you would fill us with uh, your spirit so that we might respond to you rightly. God, we just, we need your help. I need your help to, to, to preach. We need your help to hear and listen and respond. And so we just come, we just ask that you would. And we uh, pray that you would be empowering us as your people to be sent on the mission, your mission of making disciples. God, we pray to that end, for our good and for your glory. Amen. Amen. Well, we are in uh, a well-known passage this morning, Matthew chapter 28. Uh, it's a common passage well-known as the Great Commission. Verse 16 of Matthew 28 begins this way. He says, And the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came to them and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Well, somebody's, somebody's last words can tell you a lot about a person. Sometimes they tell you what they believe about themselves. Sometimes they tell you what they reveal what really that person really thought mattered most in life. Uh, entrepreneur P.T. Barnum, uh, his very last words right before he died, how are the receipts today at Madison Square Garden? <laughs> Football coach Vince Lombardi died of cancer in 1970. As he died, Lombardi turned to his wife and said, happy anniversary, I love you. Wesley, in the famous uh, film, Princess Bride, True Love, or was it To Blave? I can never remember which one it was supposed to be. Convicted murderer Thomas J. Grasso used his last words to complain about his last meal. He said, I did not get my SpaghettiOs. I got spaghetti. I want the press to know this. Something was really important about SpaghettiOs, right? Leonardo da Vinci. His final words, he said, I have offended God and mankind because my work did not reach the quality it should have. Maybe there's some humility there. Maybe there's some guilt. Who knows what's going on there? Nathan Hale, the 
famous 21-year-old school teacher turned revolutionary war spy. He's, his famous last words, he says, I regret that I have but one life to lose for my country. Last words tell you a lot about somebody. Matthew 28, we read Jesus' last words to his disciples. And, and like others, his last words tell us a lot about him. But unlike everyone else's last words, his words, last words tell us a lot about us as well. As we study our passage this morning, I, I want to show us how Jesus' last words, how they inform and how they change who we are as a people and what it looks like for us to be his people as his church, especially here at River City. And what I want us to see is that the heart of Jesus' final words is a command for us. It's a, a command that is founded on a proclamation. It's a command that has a process, and it's a command that comes with a promise. That is some really fantastic sermon writing alliteration there, people. I hope you understand. That was a joke. That was a joke. You can laugh. Okay, moving on. Wow. That was moving on. Okay. So <laughs> the, the command comes in verse 19. He says, therefore, go make disciples of all nations. The command there is to make disciples. And if you want to make disciples, I suppose you've got to know what a disciple is. And in the most general definition, a disciple is just a follower. It's a, it's a student of someone or, or something. A disciple is someone who's committed themselves to the teaching of someone or something, to an ideology or to a person. One commentator writes it this way, Applied to Jesus, then, a disciple is someone who learns from him to live like him. Someone who, because of God's awakening grace, conforms his or her words and their ways to the words and the ways of Jesus. A disciple of Jesus is much more than somebody who just likes Jesus' words. It's a lot more than somebody who just admires his wisdom or appreciates his values. A disciple is someone who confesses that Jesus is not just a wise teacher, but that Jesus is Lord. And in response to that conviction, in response to that confession, they've submitted their lives entirely over to him. You see, the command to make disciples has everything to do with who is giving the command. It has everything to do with who Jesus is. Verse 19 begins with the word, therefore. It says, therefore, go and make disciples. So the therefore comes right after something that's important. It's founded, see, the foundation of Jesus' command is based on a proclamation that he makes about himself. Verse 18, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's the proclamation he makes about himself. He says, I am in authority over everything, over all people, over all time, on heaven and on earth. I rule and reign over everything. Jesus is saying, I am God, I am king, I am the Lord, and I am the ruler of heaven and earth. All authority is mine. And it's in light of that proclamation that Jesus gives us the command to go and make disciples of all nations. One commentator writes this. I just thought this was so helpful. He says, Jesus is alive and he is sovereign. He, and it's here that the Christian mission has its proper starting point in a meeting with the risen Jesus, now enthroned as the king of all. He says, on the basis of that authority, Jesus now sends his disciples out to spread his good kingly rule over all nations by making more disciples. You see, Jesus says, I am king. And his kingly rule is not this domineering, forceful thing, but his kingly rule is a good rule that gives life to all things. And so we extend Jesus' kingly rule, the 
the expression of it as we make more and more disciples. So a disciple of Jesus then is one who submitted themselves to Jesus as king of all and who was thus commissioned by him to make that proclamation, to echo Jesus' proclamation that he is indeed the king of all. But Jesus doesn't just stop with a command. He gives us the process by which we carry out his command. It has three parts. It says we are to go, we are to baptize, and we are to teach. The first part of the process of making disciples, it says, therefore, go. For some, uh, that, that word go, that, that matters. That's a really important two letters. Um, but I want to make sure we don't misconstrue what that means. For some, God literally calls people to pick up their lives, to move to a different city or state or country or whatever. For some, it's a different country. For some, it's just a different state. God's called Hannah and I a number of times to physically move our address to different cities or different states in light with us following the command to make disciples and God's call to invite us into how he would send us into that command. And many of you sense God's call to physically move yourselves and your families here to the city of Dubuque to, for the sake of making disciples here in this city so that the people of Dubuque might come to know and love and follow and serve Jesus. And so sometimes the command to go is literally about moving. It's about picking up all that you own and moving to a new place and a new city and a new thing. But the call to go and to make disciples is not always, and I would just say, or even usually, about leaving your physical home. At its root, the command to go is about understanding that the identity of a disciple of Jesus is fundamentally about being sent. Jesus was God, sent as a missionary to us. And so as Jesus' disciples who imitate him, we are sent as missionaries to the people God is sending us to. Making disciples is not a task that gets done on a trip. Missions trips are really good. Foreign missionaries are incredibly important. But every disciple of Jesus is called to be a missionary every day. Because to be sent is an identity. It's not just a task. It's, a, it's part of who we are as God's people. The word that's translated go there, the original language, it's an active imperative, which means that the call to go is not a one-time thing. It's not, okay, go, now you, you went, awesome, you did that part of the command. No, that it, it's a go, keep on going as you're going. Go every day. It's an ongoing call that we're called to live out every day. And so the mission of making disciples is a foundational part of the identity of God's people, and so it should be a foundational part of our everyday lives. Because it's in the everyday stuff of life that we get the, the chance to demonstrate the transforming power of the gospel. It's in the everyday stuff of life that we get to live out the, the gospel to our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers in order that we would get the chance to declare the truths about the transforming power of the gospel and the why behind the difference that's in our lives. In college, I got the chance to share my faith with my friend Cody, and I'll never forget after I um, got the after I we were playing video games one night, and just God opened up some pretty incredible doors, and, and I, I will never forget what he told me after I got done sharing a little bit about my testimony and about the gospel. He said, "I felt like I could listen to what you said because you're the first person I've seen that what you believe and the way that you live matched." I will never forget him saying that to me. And Cody didn't see all the parts of my life because there's a whole lot of inconsistencies in who I am. I'm not some perfect saint. But what had happened is I had lived my faith out in, in front of my friend. We had 
shared lots of opportunities in life together. We would work out together. We ate lots of pizza together. We uh, shared our lives together. We played lots of video games together. And in the course of all of those things, I was getting the chance to demonstrate how the gospel had been changing in a way that slowly over time was becoming good news to my friends. When we first became friends, Cody had absolutely no interest in spiritual things. In fact, I remember him saying to me he thought God's stuff was stupid. And in a few years, God would give me opportunities to see my friend in absolute no unequivocal terms choose to commit his life to Jesus as Lord of all. You see, it was in the everyday stuff of life that I got to live out my faith for my friend, and that opened opportunities for me to actually talk about Jesus. If I never talked about Jesus with my friend, all of the living for Jesus would have been of no value. And so it's in the everyday stuff of life that we're sent to make disciples amongst our friends and our family and our neighbors and our coworkers. You see this truth in the core values of our church. One of the core values is that we want to be missionaries more than we want to be magnets. We believe that our primary philosophy of evangelism and disciple-making should be centered on our people thinking and acting like missionaries in their everyday lives. That's because every Christian is called to be sent as a missionary to share the gospel in word and in deed in the areas of influence that God has put us in. We say that that's namely in the places that we live and work and play the areas of the life that we just spend our time in. You see, my job, though, as a pastor, as your pastor, I, I don't see my job as like the primary goal is to just like put on this epic thing here on Sunday morning, but rather, or to create a culture in which you are dependent on me or you're dependent on the church or our programs or our facilities or any of that stuff. Instead, I see my job is to equip you to live as missionaries, as disciple makers in the everyday stuff of life throughout the week. I don't know if you've realized this, our Sunday mornings aren't super flashy. Like there's a Christmas tree still set up in the room that we're meeting in, right? A hotel is not the, the most ideal place ever to meet, to, to have a church. And if we had a lot of money or an amazing group of musicians or an incredible venue, that really wouldn't change that much. Because like the event here is not the most important thing. Our gathering as God's people to worship on Sundays, like that matters. It's really important. In fact, I give a huge part of the hours of my week to prepping for our time together and to increasingly making our time here as we gather for worship and making that better and better and better. But my goal is not to do ministry in the one hour we have together. My goal is to equip you in the one hour we have together here for the other 167 hours you live as Jesus' disciples sent as his missionary, disciple-making people in the everyday stuff of life all week. And my sincere prayer is that God will raise up some of you to go and to leave your physical homes to obey Jesus' call on your life to make disciples. I long for that. I long that some of you might be raised up to go and plant churches in, in foreign countries or in other cities. But I pray just as eagerly that God might call some of you to leave the small group that you're in so that you might plant a new one here in our own city one day so that more people in our city to make space for them to encounter Jesus through his people and through his word. You see, all of that is the mission of making disciples, and all of it is of equal value and importance. 
for all of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, disciples of his, the call for us is to go every day. Not to wait and to hope that someone might just see us and ask about Jesus, but to live our such our lives in such a way and in such proximity to people that don't know him yet that it might demand an explanation. So in order to go and make disciples, we must first go. The next part of the process that Jesus highlights for us is that we need to, we first go and make disciples, then we baptize them. Verse 19, therefore go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Baptism is all about identity. Baptism is about identity. Jesus Jesus says, baptize them into the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. In biblical times, your name was a really big deal, a lot bigger deal than it is today. It's fundamentally about an identity change because in biblical times, your name carried it with, with it meaning and history and family and allegiances. And so to be baptized into a new name is fundamentally about an identity change. It's about getting a new name and a new family, the new father. It's about a new identity. Baptism doesn't make you a disciple of Jesus. It doesn't change your status or your standing with God. Baptism is not about saving. Instead, the act of baptism is the public announcement of this new identity that you have as a follower of Jesus. It's like at the end of a wedding. I've done a couple of weddings. At the end of a wedding, I get to pronounce a couple, and I say, I present to you for the first time ever, Mr. and Mrs. Whoever, right? And my presentation of the couple, that doesn't make them married. They're, they're already married. They said the I do's. Me presenting them to everybody, that doesn't, that doesn't make them married. I'm just announcing it. I'm announcing to everyone their new name. I'm announcing to everyone their new identity as a couple together. I'm announcing to everyone their new purpose that together they might live as God's people sent by him. And like getting married, being a disciple of Jesus is something you want other people to know about. It's something you want other people to celebrate with you, like you want people to celebrate getting married. And like getting married, it is something you are absolutely going to need other people's help with. (laughs) See, disciples are made in community and disciples are established in community. Again, this is why small groups are such a vital part of River City. Like Aaron said, small groups are not just one of the ministries of River City. Small groups are at the heart of how we live out the vision of making disciples and of growing in the gospel. It's in community that you get the, the relationships and the chances and the conversations and the, and the connections in order to actually start to grow up in all of those things. So small groups are central both to our evangelism and to our growing up in Christ. So Jesus says to go and make disciples and to baptize them, to establish them in the new identity that they have, to make sure that they know who they are, to make sure that they know that they're God's people, that they're his children, that they're his family, because he knows that we're going to need our new family's help if we're going to live out the identity that he's given us, if we're going to actually be his disciples who make more disciples. We cannot do it on our own. That brings us to the last part of the process that Jesus gives us for carrying out his command to make disciples. He says, teach them to obey. Verse 20, teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. It is super important. Jesus did not say, go and make converts. Jesus said, go 
and make disciples. Matt Chandler says it this way, the goal of our going then is not when all is said and done just to have people say, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but rather it's to have people who give their lives to him. The command to make disciples is never less than the proclamation of the gospel to people who are not followers of Jesus yet. It is never less than evangelism, but making disciples, the mission of making disciples is always more than that. And so we proclaim the gospel to everyone so that in every way we would all grow up to look like Jesus who always obeyed. See, a disciple of Jesus is not just someone who says they follow Jesus. A disciple of Jesus is someone whose heart and life actually obey. Whose heart and life actually increasingly, ongoingly imitates him and his character and his attitudes and his behaviors and his actions. And just as a side note here, there's not going to be a day when you arrive and you just finally obey all of Jesus' commands. Uh, Discipleship is a lifelong process. The command to teach people to obey, that's an everyday for the rest of your life kind of command. The martyred uh, missionary Jim Elliott, this is a quote that's always stuck with me. He says, one does not surrender a life in an instant. That which is lifelong can only be surrendered in a life. As followers of Jesus, we are to obey, and we're to teach others to obey, and that is an invitation that we will spend the rest of our lives doing as we increasingly learn to apply the truths of the gospel to our lives so that we long to obey. And so every day until Jesus returns or calls us home, we give ourselves increasingly to submitting every area of our hearts and our lives over to the kingly rule of Jesus and to helping others to do that the same. And the, the way that we do that is by growing in the gospel, by increasingly believing and living in light of the transforming person and work of Jesus, just like Caitlin shared about. And what happens is that we, as we grow in the gospel, as we increasingly understand how much we needed Jesus and how greatly he has met our need, it causes us not to, not to just want to obey, not to just think that we should obey and then feel guilty when we don't, but to actually long to bring all of our lives under the good kingly rule of Jesus' authority in order that the process of making disciples would not be an accident. You see, people... Do not become disciples of Jesus by obeying his commands in order to win his acceptance. Jesus' disciples joyfully do, this commentator write this, this was so helpful, he said, Jesus' disciples joyfully do what Jesus has commanded them as a result of God's transforming power in their hearts in the proclamation of the gospel. Our obedience to Jesus is a joyful thing. We might submit every area of our lives under his good kingly rule And just as our obedience was not the thing that earned us acceptance from God in the first place, our obedience to his commands is not the thing that maintains our acceptance. We don't obey Jesus' commands in order to one day hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. We obey Jesus' commands because no matter what happens on the last day, Jesus will sit there and God will pronounce over you, well done, good and faithful servant. Not because you were good and faithful, because Jesus was on your behalf. It's because Jesus was the good and faithful servant. We give our lives to be faithful, good servants as we imitate him. We remember First Peter 1 says that we're not trying to earn God to be, we're not, we're not trying to be called God's obedient children. We are called God's obedient children. 
That's the truth about who God says we are, that he sees us as. And so our identity, that is what is proclaimed to be true of us, changes how we live, and we live into that identity. And it's that incredible truth that not only gives us the desire to obey, it actually gives us the power we need to actually obey all of Jesus' commands, including his final command, which is to go and make disciples because we go with him. You see, the mission of making disciples is an incredible honor. It is a privilege that every follower of Jesus is given to join Jesus in the increase of his rule and of his reign. But let me just shoot straight with you. The mission of making disciples is really messy. It's like not this like uh, rainbows and unicorns and just like happy-go-lucky everything. The mission of making disciples is hard. And it is costly and it is difficult. And sometimes people are hard to love and hard to serve. And there are some people you just absolutely do not want to do it for. And you remember the good news about the gospel is that Jesus came to love and to serve you when you hate. When you, when you said, God, I want to dethrone you as the king of the world. I want to enthrone myself. When we were mutinous rebels, that's when Jesus decided to love and to serve us. The gospel is such good news for us. It, it helps us to enter into the messiness of making disciples, into the heartache that that sometimes is. The mission of making disciples is not just about others. The mission of making disciples is about you too. God wants to grow you in the mission of making disciples. It is our firm belief here at River City that discipleship is not the thing that grows you and makes you ready for mission. Mission, the mission of making disciples, is what grows you up as a disciple. The mission of making disciples is the thing that grows you up as a disciple. Discipleship isn't the thing that gets you ready for that. So we believe that actively, in fact, maturity through mission is one of the core values of our church. We believe that actively engaging in the mission of making disciples is a vital and essential part of being a healthy and growing disciple of Jesus because the goal of spiritual maturity is to become more and more like Jesus who was sent by the Father as a missionary to us. And so just as the Father sent Jesus to us, so we are sent by Jesus as his missionaries, as his people, sent to the places where we are live and work and play. And a part of becoming more like Jesus is embracing his heart for those who don't know him and being on mission to them. And the huge reason why we believe that the active engaging of the mission of making disciples is an essential part of our spiritual growth is because the mission of making disciples reveals our need for Jesus. The mission of making disciples reveals our need for Jesus, which makes Jesus' final words all the more important. Verse 20, he concludes his last command. He gives us just an incredible promise. In verse 20, he says, Surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. See, Jesus knew that the mission he was calling his followers to was not an easy one. In fact, it was an impossible one without him. But Jesus doesn't send us out on our own. No, he promises that he will go with us. If we're going to obey his command, we're going to need to cling tightly to his promise. He's going to be with us to the end because, man, there are going to be days when that mission is really difficult. And there are going to be days when the mission of making disciples feels really costly. And there will be days that you want to shrink back and there will be days that you want to hide and there will be days that you just want to say, Jesus, I don't, I'm out. 
And on those days, we're going to need to remember that Jesus is the one who is saying to us, I know that it's difficult. I am here. I have all authority, and I have sent you, and I'm going. So we hold firmly to the truth that Jesus, the risen, ruling, reigning king of all, has promised to go with us as we make disciples. And even so, and so even though the mission is hard and messy and there are days that you want to quit, the mission of making disciples is life-giving and it is joyful because we go with Jesus and because every chance we get to proclaim the truths of the gospel to someone, whether that is so that they might come to faith in Jesus for the first time or whether that is so that we, they might grow up in faith in Christ, we remember all that Jesus has done for us as well. I've been working on memorizing um, scripture with my kids and uh, the Village Church, they have a this like, YouTube channel that they do some like songs with kids' verse. Anyways, it's irrelevant. Um, but the verse that we've been working on this week is Psalms 126.3. And it says this, The Lord has done great things for us, so we are glad. I've been thinking a lot about that verse this week. The Lord has done great things for us, so we are glad. See, the gospel is the good news that Jesus did the greatest of all for us. So he lived the life that we should have led, and he died the death that we should have died, and he did it in our place for our sins, absorbing God's just wrath towards our mutinous rebellion, and he traded places with us so that while he took our punishment, we received his wrath. And so as his people, we remember that Jesus has done great things for us. So we are glad. And in our gladness, we give our lives back to the one who gave his for us. And we remember that Jesus pursued us, giving us, giving everything so that we might be redeemed. And so we join him in pursuing others, longing that others might come to know and love and follow and serve him as we have. We long that they would. And so we join Jesus in pursuing others, longing that they might come to know him, even when it costs, even when it is difficult, even when it is hard. And all the while, we cling to Jesus' promise that the ruler of the universe has not just sent us. He's going. Every week when we take communion, that's what we celebrate. That's what we remember. That's what we celebrate. When we say, Jesus, you have done great things for us, so we are glad. We gladly come to celebrate and remember Jesus. We come to celebrate and remember our need for him, and we come remembering how greatly Jesus has met our need, and we come as his disciples asking that as his adopted children that, we might, that he might empower us to live every day on the mission he has sent us on. And so as we sing, as we celebrate all that God has done for us, I just encourage you, tell them how grateful you are. As we sing, as we celebrate, as we take communion, tell God how glad you are in him for all that he has done for you. Or ask him that he would make you glad by revealing to you all that he's done for you. When you're ready, you can go back and take communion. You just dip the bread in the juice. And as you do, I would just invite you to remember Jesus' final words. Remember his command to go and make disciples and remember his promise.
that he's with us, that he's the one who empowers us, and that the very reason that we are sent on his mission is because he saves. You don't need to be a member of this church to take communion. You just need to belong to Jesus. Let's pray. King Jesus, we are so grateful to live for you and to serve you. And we got we come as your servants, not because we deserve it, not because we have earned it, not because there is anything about us that deserves the honor or the privilege of being sent and commissioned by you. But we do it, God, because of the great, like just the grace that you have shown us. So God, we choose to remember all of the things that you have done for us. And we say, Jesus, you have done great things for us. So we are glad. Jesus, and we give our lives back to you gladly because you gave yours for us. And we long that through us you might pursue our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers so that they might come to know and love and follow you. And we long that through each one of us you might cause all of us to grow up as your disciples. Jesus, we have no power or authority to do it on our own, and so we do it in your name. We don't do it for you. We do it with you, King Jesus. God, for our good and for your great and abiding glory in all things.